We believe they're going to signal the possibility for a cut this week with the likelihood of a July or September cut, depending on the data. I don't think they want to cut this week because if they cut this week and then we get a trade deal in late June, you know, they've got egg on their face. So I think they want to, I think they want to sit tight. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. We haven't connected in quite a while with all our travel schedules. Ryan, welcome back. I know, John. It has been a while since we've been in this room sitting next to Terrence doing our podcast. Absolutely. But it, it feels, hopefully it feels like riding a bike. We'll see how we do here. I think we'll do okay, but it's good to see you again. Thank you. Good to see you as well. And always big ups to Terrence because I uh, wouldn't get this done without him. So thank you, Terrence, for and all your help. Yes, yeah, so we're always it. changing when we do it, Terrence. So thank you for always um, appreciate adjusting your to our schedule. That's right. Right. <laughs> Well, obviously, a lot's going on. Well, first off, a belated happy Father's Day. I understand you and your family went to see a Reds game in Cincinnati Friday night? That's right, John. My family was up there after school was out, so I flew up Friday night to go to the Reds game. And the Reds, oh, man, they only had a couple hits. It was a, it was a rough game. Nonetheless, they had fireworks afterward. Then, then Saturday, we drove back down here to um, Charlotte. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that was fun. It was uh, pretty smooth. I mean, no such thing as fun when you drive. I think it's 499 miles from my mother-in-law's house to our front door. So we'll call we'll round call it, it up. Call it 500. Call right. it 500. We did it in about nine hours, which is pretty good for us. One stop. Dog. I've always said the dog's the best traveler Three we have. Three kids and a dog. And the dog just goes back there and just lays down. He's just happy to be with us. Mm-hmm. So it, it was good. And then Father's Day yesterday was pretty laid back. My wife knows I like barbecue. I don't know how she knows that. Right, if anyone right. who knows me knows that. Went to a good barbecue place, Max Speed Shop down here got a ton of food for lunch i didn't even really eat dinner which is rare for me good but i had a really big lunch good deal good for you how about you guys how'd your father's day go? we had a great one kids were in town um it was quite a celebration in the lynch household um uh, my in-laws celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary so linda and i hosted everybody for that so that was fun i think that marriage is going to work out our kids are turning 26 and 23 this week so we celebrated their birthdays, and we also celebrated Father's Day. So it was a, a great weekend of fun and celebration for the family. So a lot of fun. I guess it was highlighted by a card my daughter gave me for Father's Day. And she said, why is playing golf like raising kids? And you open the card, and it said, your golf ball doesn't listen to you either. <laughs> so that really kind of kind of... <laughs> kind of made it all clear for me. That's, your kids don't listen to you? Mine are perfect. Yeah, that's right. They that's always right. do exactly what we say. Well, actually, yeah. they've been very good kids, so we're really fortunate. And it was just uh, it was a good joke nonetheless. That's good. that's good. Speaking of jokes, what about these markets, huh? We had a month of May was nothing but a downdraft. And then uh, I guess just the beginning of June, Fed Chair Powell said, uh, he didn't say whatever it takes like mm-hmm. Mario Draghi, that's but right. he said act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. What we saw two weeks ago, the equity markets were up four or 5%. And then uh, last week we, we slowed down a bit, uh, but still we're up maybe half a percent for the week. Right. You're right, John. I mean, you put it in context, May was the worst May we'd seen in nearly 10 years for the S&P 500. And now you fast forward to July, we're looking at potentially the best July we've seen. June. Almost, I'm sorry, oh, look at that. I'm mm-hmm. jumping ahead. You're right. right. Yep. I'm, I'm just living in the future here. June, the best we June we've had. We can make a lot of money, Ryan. If you know anything about July, you want to share Well, July 4th, we're not, I'm not coming to work. How's that sound? That sounds good. <laughs> but um, anyway. You're going to show the man. That's right. June, we're having the best potential June in 20 years. Now, believe me, there's a long way to go. Uh, but still, it just really hammers home how... On the way down and right on the way back up just as fast as the shopping market continues here. Well, I had an opportunity at the crack of dawn on Friday morning uh, to be a guest on CNBC, which was always delightful. We always enjoy that. 
challenge and that opportunity uh, to match wits and share ideas on the markets, and I really always enjoy that. Um, I did use a term, though, uh, that they carried over the course of the weekend uh, during one of the Q&A session. I said something like, uh, I'm not comfortable with a market that is giddy about liquidity. I didn't realize how uh, catchy that phrase was until it, I blurted it out. But nonetheless, we want to see a market that's moving on fundamentals. In fact, we'll be releasing our mid-year outlook next week, so we're excited about sharing that. But uh, we want to see the market that's moving on 2 or 2.5% two GDP growth, low inflation, 5 or 6% earnings growth with a, a favorable interest rate backdrop. We do not want to see a market that's going to keep moving because of money's going to be free going forward. That's right, John. So, you know, this week on the LPL Market Signals podcast, we're going to focus on really two things. It is Fed week. We're going to talk a little bit about the Fed in, upcoming Fed decision, potential decision with interest rates, and then take it one step further as we're going to get into the the consensus is there's likely going to be a rate cut, probably not this week, but probably at the end of July, at least Fed Fund Futures looking that way. What does that mean for stocks? Because the last two times, John, we had rate cuts. Uh, the new cycle was 2001 and 2007. We all remember, or maybe hopefully some listeners don't remember if they're young or just blocked it out. But after <laughs> those rate came cuts. Came out in therapy. <laughs> yeah. It was not a good time for the economy or for stocks afterwards. So, John, again, let's put the ball on the tee here and take a look. Like you said, first off, that was a great CNBC interview. I said this before. I think you had four or five questions. It was just you. Yeah. And usually, I mean, I've done the 6 o'clock slot before, and you might get one question. And I'm not minimizing it. It's great to be on TV. It's like, oh, man, I wish they would have asked me one or two more. But Absolutely. it was a so really was good discussion. the way it worked mm -hmm. out. And then uh, yeah. Joe Kernan was very helpful. And, uh, our friend Peter Buchvar yes. also was on as well, so that worked out well. In this week's weekly economic commentary, um, Kelly Cox and Barry Gilbert and I put together whole idea. Last week we wrote about course correction. Uh, now we're talking about setting the stage. And, uh, you know, the, the Fed is obviously in a difficult situation because the market is demanding a rate cut. The Fed clearly has been experiencing some uh, aggressive tweets from the White House. Uh, the Fed wants to maintain its independence, but to a degree, Fed Chair Jerome Powell does have some cover, right? When you think about uh, manufacturing disappointing, jobs growth disappointing, um, inflation less than forecast, exactly. uh, the dollar that has been stronger, you know, there and obviously the curve, right? The short end of the curve is sending a message when you look at Fed funds to two year uh, and then even 90 day to 10 year. But twos and tens and twos and thirties are suggesting otherwise, right? So maybe the twos and tens, twos and thirties are saying, okay, they're going to cut, but that's going to be longer term inflationary and that's why you're seeing a bit of a steeper curve and potentially why you're seeing financials gain traction yeah you're right john i mean that is the big dichotomy the short end of the curve is definitely saying hey the bond market is worried there's likely a cut or at least potentially if you look at fed fund futures three cuts is what they're expecting the rest of this year although that might be i don't think we're gonna quite see that many but the long end of the curve continues to steepen and you know i'll play devil's advocate look at last week we had industrial production number really solid retail mm -hmm. sales came in pretty good um, you know, inflation is still low. Uh, initial claims still in 50-year lows. Now, I get you list yeah. some worries, but, John, wouldn't 
someone say, why in the world are they going to cut here? You know, yes, manufacturing is slowing, but it's still coming out over 3% GDP print if you look at annualized how the manufacturing numbers are. So and the S&P is 2% from a record. Oh, yeah, let's talk about stocks so. for a second. Yeah, the S&P is not doing too bad either. Now, you know, that's interesting. I took a look at if the Fed could possibly cut with the S&P up around new all-time highs. I found periods in 95, 96. There are multiple periods when the Fed indeed cut on the same day that the S&P 500 actually made a new all-time high. So it so we've been ninety five and ninety eight. Ninety five and ninety six were the last two times okay. that they did. Ninety eight, they did cut rates, but we were well off the highs. Right, in, because I guess, of late uh, the, the uh, debt default crisis, exactly. Russian uh, uh, currency crises. Exactly. So you know, why in the world are we even talking about rate cuts if the economy is doing okay? It's shocking because. You know, I wish you and I could be a fly on the wall at the Fed meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday this week, wow, right? You know, something. I know our listeners don't get excited about this as we do, but we're kind of geeky and uh, would love to hear because, yeah, I just gave the argument for a cut when you look at manufacturing the dollar, jobs, inflation, and the curve. But the argument against a cut would be retail sales last week, uh, industrial production last week, leading economic indicators that we're going to see later on this week, which exactly. is suggesting uh, growth is still good domestically. Uh, obviously, profits being 400 basis points better than forecast in the first quarter. So there are a variety of reasons for them to suggest otherwise and not cut. But I think what's going to really turn the table for the Fed will be the interest rate differentials with global sovereigns. Because... Um, they have to be mindful of the fact that the JGB uh, might be, what, negative 12 or 15 basis points. The German Bund is probably negative 20 or 25 basis points. And at 250 uh, uh, on the Fed funds, that's probably too much, particularly given the uncertainty of trade. And when you think about trade, you know, there's really nothing nebulous about trade, right? It's a binary in outcome. Uh, we either get a deal and the market takes off or we don't get a deal and the market plunges. And I think, you know, what, what do we have? Five governors and 12 regional presidents, not that they're all voters, uh, but they will uh, have a very, very healthy discussion on what the short end of the curve and the dollar is basically telling them to do. Right. And, you know, you talk about the word inflation. Let's talk about that for a second. So, one of the big things, like you said, the White House with President Trump, some of his tweets about the potential to cut rates, and he's been saying this for a while, is because inflation's low. The Fed's favorite measure of inflation is the PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditures. came in at 1.6% year-over-year recently, 2%'s the target. Now, John, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think I've heard trade wars are supposed to create inflation. That's right. What am I missing here? What's the market it's missing? Different We're not this time, oh, Ryan. Aren't those the most right. foremost the one dangerous thing you're not words? supposed to say. <laughs> cut that out, Terrence. We can't say it's different this time. It's, it's like guaranteed mm -hmm. triple tax free, right? That's that right. we have to cut mm -hmm. out. But certainly uh, on the different this time, uh, obviously those are the most dangerous words to say. But to a degree, it's applicable when you think about the Fed quintupling the size of its balance sheet over the last five years. I mean, Milton Friedman has to be spinning in his grave thinking about all his work on the creation of currency, the creation of liquidity, and what that's supposed to do. Mon you know, inflation is always a monetary phenomenon. And I'm sure these central bankers are flummoxed by the whole idea that they've created all this liquidity and the demand for it still hasn't been sufficient to bid up prices. So it's a very, very curious dynamic. Uh, and that's why I think the Fed and officials have to go 
to even secondary type dynamics than they ordinarily would have when you consider that the emerging markets are now more than one half of global GDP because you have to th factor in, what is it, uh, $4 trillion in dollar-denominated debt issued over the course of the past decade. So $4 trillion in emerging market dollar-denominated debt. Uh, I think, and they clearly don't want to raise rates so much that the emerging space can't service that debt. And then there's the issue with really food costs for six billion of the seven billion people in this world and if our rates are too strong their currencies get too weak emerging central bankers could be in a position where they're jacking up rates to s preserve their currency so their people can eat you know and that's i don't think they want to go there. there yeah you're right you, know, you talk about the trade dispute with china and, and obviously this is what's probably factoring in a lot of this potential p talk of a potential rate cut because like you said in the mid 90s and 95 we had a 94 the mexican peso crisis and 98 long-term capital management hedge fund faltered so that's that gave the fed cover to potentially cut mm -hmm. rates in those two times and look at it this time so it's the chinese uh the, the trade dispute but john i saw an etf just came out we probably can't mention the actual name of the etf but there's an etf that fo focuses on trade war right you talk about peak and euphoria euphoria might be the wrong word but peak in trade discussion an ETF came out on it, so that contrarian in me starts to think, wow, maybe, uh, you know, I hate to say the worst is over, but a lot of this has got to be priced in, doesn't it? When, you, when you see something when like When you get that? extremes, well, yeah, when we saw that, we talked about uh, you were nine years old playing Little League Baseball, but I remember in uh, uh, July of 82, uh, Business Week had the article saying uh, the death of equities, right. and then we went on an 18-year bull market. So, yeah, the extreme in the negative and extreme on the positive, so... Um, it's really curious because if President Xi and President Trump can come to some uh, degree of progress at the G20 uh, later this month in Japan, it's conceivable that this could be the least appreciated or most underappreciated soft landing mm -hmm. in the history of economic cycles. So that really, I mean... If they're able to accomplish this and get something, we could be 60% through the cycle as opposed to 80% through the cycle, like many people believe. Yeah, and you, we talked about this last week. I know you and Jeff did, but just the policy uncertainty index, it takes mm -hmm. a look at, like it suggests, the uncertainty in policy. It is near multi-year highs. So there's a lot of con concern with what's going on, but maybe that's priced in. You mentioned magazine covers, and one that just happened, John, on there's an article actually in Business Week on May 3rd. It was titled, The U.S. Stock Market Can't Stop, Won't Stop Its Endless Rally. And that was May 3rd? May 3rd. You think about what happened in May, we had the worst May in nine years. So Five sorry, or six percent I'm a big fan up. of Business Week and, and Bloomberg. But nonetheless, sometimes when you see things like that, you start to wonder what's exactly going on under the surface. Oh, yeah. No, uh, obviously, Bloomberg is a great partner of ours. And uh, it's kind of like Paul Azinger watching, uh, discussing some of the players on yesterday's U.S. Open when he would say stuff like, you know, Joe Blow hasn't missed a putt inside of oh. five feet since all week. And then naturally Joe Blow is going to miss at that you point. Things you know? are more certain than when that that's happens. That's right. The kiss so, of death. So, John, we've got maybe five or six more minutes left. Maybe let's talk now. So that's the Fed decision, which comes out on Wednesday. So we, we believe they're going to signal the possibility for a cut this week with the likelihood of a July or September cut, depending on the data. I don't think they want to cut this week because if they cut this week and then we get a trade deal in late June, you know, they've got no, egg on their something. face. So right. I think they wanna I think they wanna sit tight. 
Yeah, and you, you mentioned late June. I guess the key there is the G20 is coming up in Japan, and there's talk that President Trump and President Xi will at least get together, but it sounds like they're probably just going to open the path. Hey, we're going to start talking again. Is that kind of what yeah, you think might happen it, here? They live a half a world apart. They'll be staying at the same hotel. You really would think they could meet at the buffet at breakfast or something, you know, and just run, run into each other. Hey, I know, I know that's where you and I always meet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't ever miss the free buffet. Yeah. That's why you stay at the Hampton Inn, right? You, you can eat your croissant. Embassy Suites. It's included. That's right. Those are some of my favorites. But anyway, so so if the Fed cuts rates, which right. again we don't think they will, but let's say July they do. I mean, John, the last two times, 2007, 2001, when they first started the cut rates after a cycle of increasing, we saw massive recessions, and obviously both times stocks were eventually cut in half, approximately on both of those cycles. So should the average investor, if the Fed cuts rates in the in July, we'll say, could another massive recession and haircut in stocks be right around the corner like the last two times? Well, our senior analyst in last week, Callie Cox, in uh, last week's uh, WEC and weekly economic commentary, and then the work you've done in the equity market, you know, anything's possible, right? You never want to you know, the market's going to do what the market's going to do. But as forecasters and stewards of our clients' assets, we, we look to history, we look to interest rates, we look to inflation, we look to a lot of fundamentals to help balance out some of the historical trends. And the work that we've done as a team has really identified that it's not necessarily similar to the degree, it's never the first rate hike that gets you. It's always the last one. They always do one too many, right? And then on... Uh, you know, a mid-cycle course correction, setting the stage for a cut to per potentially prolong the expansion. It really comes down to where we are in the cycle and where interest rates and inflation are. And, and uh, in the 90s, where, where was the Fed funds rate? Was it 6%? Yeah, approximately. Yeah. I was yeah. still playing uh, Little League Baseball, so I'm not 100% right. sure so, here. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. You were a beast, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I know but we'll put it was way up to 94, 95 before that cut, they, the Fed doubled interest rates right. over in a very and, short time frame. And they, and they mm -hmm. didn't have press conferences back then. We were left. That's true. Looking at briefcases, how uh, big exactly, the briefcase was. Exactly. So uh, uh, there, there, there are other dynamics other than the cut. And if you look at 01 and 07, you could look at market valuation. You could look at the excesses uh, relative to multiples, price-to-earnings ratios for the technology space uh, in 2000, 2001. Or you could look at the massive leverage in the in the mortgage market, for example, and all the derivative trades and how the notional value of all those derivative trades were exponentially larger than the actual value that everyone thought they appreciated. Mm -hmm. Right. So in this week's weekly market commentary, we do take a look kind of at exactly what we're talking about, the reaction after a first Fed rate cut. And, John, the chart that we share in this week's podcast takes a look at the past seven times. We mentioned the last two, 2001, 2007, but there were five before that in 84, 87, 89, 95, and 98. All those times saw a rate cut after a hike, at least one hike before that. The really good news, all those times are actually positive, pretty significantly, six to 12 months later. The median return. I remember those. There you go. The median return out of the past seven times, one year later for the S&P 500, is just a hair under 14%. Um, and again, that's explained in our chart there and then this week's weekly market commentary. And our good friends at Ned Davis Research actually went back to the 1920s. And oh my yeah, I know. How about that? And they found from- Those guys got data. Exactly. From 1920 to 2000. 
the just the majority of the times after a Fed rate cut, the Dow, they'd use the Dow because the Dow goes back that far. You saw a really strong return six months or a year later. So it's just recently that we've had trouble after that first cut. But using what we went back to the mid-80s or what Ned Davis did back to the 1920s, you tend to have an upward resolve in equity prices a year after a first rate cut. We're 0 for, we're 0 for 2 recently, but hopefully we won't strike out with this next one, right? Exactly. So that's really the key. Yeah. So, yeah, so John, I think we're kind of getting to the end here. I mean, what did yeah. you think of the golf tournament? What did you guys? I know you, uh, you and Linda watch it last yeah, night. What'd Linda you think? plays, and we we uh, we relax and watch the game the the the, the final round last night. Uh, delighted that someone else won, uh, mm-hmm. and right. uh, the fellow Kepka Brooks Kepka, who was trying to go for three in a row, hadn't been done since Willie Anderson did it in 1903 to 1905, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I wasn't okay. around for that one. No. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you, was it cold that day when he, it happened? He gave yeah. a really good effort. Um, but this other guy just stuck it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if any true golf fans out there, um, Woodland, I think, on the 14th hole, par 5, hit a 3-wood, maybe 270 yards right to the edge of the green. And he that just told me, I'm going to go out and win this damn thing. And uh, very impressive that he pulled that shot off. And then, because everybody was gunning for him, that front nine, everybody was throwing birdies at him, and he didn't cave in. So he absolutely deserves it. Gary Woodland, congratulations. Oh, good. Well, John, just a few comments from me, and I'll let you sign us off. That's great. Obviously, it's it's not a coincidence they do these tournaments on Father's Day. They know fathers like to sit around That's and watch right. a little golf and get the excuse Eat barbecue to do it. So and watch Eat barbecue golf. and maybe take a nap in the afternoon. Not that I did any of those things. Actually, I think I am three for three with what we just talked about there. So, John, it was good to be sitting across from you again. Thanks, everyone, listening one more time to the latest podcast, LPL, Market Signals Podcast. Podcast, and we'll be back next week and do it again. John, take us away. Thanks, Ryan, and thank you, everyone, for dialing in, listening in. We really appreciate it. And once again, just think about you know the economic backdrop, our our projection that the Fed will likely signal a cut or signal a possibility of the cut, remove the term patient from its statement, some sort of commentary or statement in black and white, in print, that can fortify Fed chair. Powell's comments from a couple of weeks ago that they will act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. And again, looking at how the market can react, it's not just about the Fed. It's really late June to hear what we're going to see relative to trade tensions with hopefully a meeting between President Xi and President Trump at the G20. So we'll be back on next week. Excited to share our mid-year outlook with you. Our team has worked very hard the last couple of weeks banging that out, and uh, we're excited to share it with you. So we'll be on next week to discuss the 2019 LPL Mid-Year Outlook. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPO Financial, LLC. 
securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.